Today's scripture reading is Luke 22:54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is God's word. Well, good morning, Renewal Church. Um, I have had so much fun being here this weekend and spending time um, with you. It's, it's good to see familiar faces from yesterday's conference back here this morning. Um, we have ba- people have asked me, this is my first time spending any time in Memphis, and so pe- a lot of people have asked me, so what have you done, what have you seen, and we have essentially eaten our way through the city. <laughs> um, and so um, it's been fantastic. Um, I've really enjoyed the time. Chris and Becky are dear friends to us. We love you know, your pastor and his family, and they've been a gift to us over the last few years as we have known them. They've walked alongside us through some difficult things and through some celebrations Um, And Chris is one of my closest friends. So the chance to be here with you and to meet his church and spend time with you this weekend has been a real privilege for us. Um, Let's pray together and we will jump into God's word. Father, as we come to you this morning, we are so grateful for a dry place on a wet day. We're grateful that, that we can open your word, that we can see that your word shows us the fullness of reality, that it doesn't skirt around brokenness, it doesn't avoid difficulty, it doesn't mask failure. And so because of that, through your word we get a clear understanding and a clear picture of ourselves, and we plead with you that by your spirit today you would open our eyes and our hearts to get a clear view of you. So we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, Well, as Chris said, I am from Washington, D.C. We've lived there seven years. Our church will celebrate six years of existence um, in in August of this year. Um, We meet for worship four blocks from the U.S. Capitol. Um, So when people ask me, like, what's it like in the D.C. area? I'm like, we're not in the D.C. area. We are in the district. Um, And so it's a challenging context. It's a a bizarre place to do ministry. D.C. is incredibly transient. um, And it is filled with driven type A people. And we have a higher percentage of type A personalities than any church ever should. (laughs) Um, And and despite what you may have an impression of, of what happens in Washington, um, the people in our church work extremely hard. They work long hours. It's cutthroat. And if they don't put the time in, then whoever they work for will find someone that's probably better qualified for cheaper. Um, the people that don't work are the ones that are back in their districts on the weekends and the ones you all voted into office. <laughs> so, um, But I love where God has placed us. It's a unique place, and it's a place that he has stirred our hearts for. Now, in that, in that high-pressure setting, what, another thing that comes out is people's perfectionism. Now, do we, are any of you willing to admit this morning that you're a perfectionist? Some of your hands went up quick. <laughs> That's good. Now, I think typically when we ask that question, perfectionism, we think about only one angle of it. We think about, about people that want things just so, that, the type of people that, that are going to spend time on a painting project making sure that every line is perfect and tight, the pre- people that are going to make sure that finances, that every penny is accounted for and that every detail of everything is worked out. There's another side of perfectionism, too, because I am not that kind of perfectionist. <laughs> Those are the kinds of details that I miss all the time. But I think on another side, we can fall into a perfectionism, and I know I do, that really stems from a fear of failure. 
And so we're not perfectionistic in our attention to detail, but there's some level to which all of us are perfectionistic in wanting to be able to live to, to a standard that we know we can't achieve and afraid that we're going to fall short of it. And so that shapes our lives, because if we're afraid to fail, we may not put 100% effort into things. You kind of hold back because you know that you can have the excuse of, well, at least, you know, I didn't, I didn't try actually that hard. I procrastinated on this, and so that, that, that's my excuse if it doesn't go just like I wanted it to. But we all fall into perfectionism on some level. Now, and on that, you know, there's some things that we could admit to failing at because it's funny and it's self-deprecating and so we can hold those things up. Like, I will admit to you and confess to you, Renewal Church, that I have failed to live up to the goal of running a marathon. That doesn't surprise any of you. (laughs) You don't look at me and say, that guy, he's got the build of a marathon runner. (laughs) I am am built for short distances and sprints. (laughs) So that's okay. But there are other areas in my life, failures that I've experienced in relationships with people, in in goals that I've set in my life, and barriers that I've hit that are much more painful, that cut much deeper. And we spent the weekend yesterday at the marriage conference talking about friendship and the importance of friendship, both inside of marriage and outside of marriage. That that friendship is something that's undervalued in, in our culture and for us. And even in friendship, all of us have experienced the pain of failed relationships. And today we're going to take a look at one of the most colossal relationship failures that we have listed for us in Scripture. We're going to take a look at Peter's life. As we we see Peter's life, there's a lot for us to learn. Now, some of you are prone to fail quietly and subtly and learn your lessons and, and move on with your life, having grown and matured. Some of you, like me, are prone to fail colossally and publicly, like Peter. But for all of us, there's something for us here in God's Word today. Um, Now, Pastor Chris told me right before I got up, he was like, hey, you can preach as long as you want. So it's his fault. (laughs) Now, I'm going to need a little bit of help from you today, Renewal, if you can help me out. I would love for you to be able to join me in proclaiming some good news today that is going to help us through a pretty heavy look at Peter's life, because it it gets pretty rough at points. And so I would love if you can respond to me when I say to you that even when we are faithless, if you can speak back to me, Jesus is faithful. Can we try that out? All right. Even when when we are faithless... All right, you're with me, so good. Even when we are faithless, Jesus is faithful. faithful. All right, let's jump in. We are going to do a quick survey of a lot of texts today. Many of them will hit the screen, Um, and so just follow along with me. You can follow along the screen, or just listen. Allow God's word to wash over you today. We begin with Peter's beginning with Jesus. I think it's important to have context for his failure when he denied any relationship with Christ. And so in Peter, when he was called, he was fishing, and, he, and, God, and Jesus called him to drop everything and follow him. But before we get to that point, they had a background together. And John, the Gospel of John, tells us about that background. In John chapter 1, we read that, um, that Peter's brother, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, had been a follower of John the Baptist, which was Jesus' cousin. And he came to Peter excited and said, hey, we have found the Messiah. And so we read this in John chapter 1, verse 40. It says, one of the two whom heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this is where things begin for Peter's interaction with Jesus. His brother brought him over to him, and they were, he was excited because they found the Messiah. Now what that means in context is that the Jewish people at this time, the Israelites, were longing for God's promised anointed one, the son in the line of David that would be king, that would overthrow Rome and lead Israel out of of their, their captivity to the Roman Empire, out of the taxation of the Roman Empire, and into freedom and prominence under a Davidic king. And so when Andrew comes to Simon, that's what's packed into this word Messiah when he says, we found him. This is the guy. And they dropped following John and said, we're going to go with your cousin. Came over and followed Jesus. And so Jesus, on meeting Peter, the first thing he says is he looks at him and gives him a nickname and says, we're going to call you the rock. 
Now later on, that's the context then for what happens in, in Luke chapter 5. We read about this fishing trip that Peter's out on the lake, on the, sea of, on the lake of Gennesaret, and he goes out and, and he comes back and they got skunked fishing all night. This is my entire life of fishing. <laughs> now Peter did this as a profession. And in every indication we have as we read the New Testament text is that he was the owner of the equipment and the company that other guys were, were working alongside him. It, they also became followers of Jesus. But, but every time we see Peter, he also is not catching fish. <laughs> now, Jesus came up. And they knew him, they recognized him in Luke 5, and so, so they, when Jesus, he has to get in Simon's boat, and then he said, hey, let's put out into deeper water and put your nets down, and Simon said, uh, master, we worked all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'm going to let them down, and when they did this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets were breaking apart. Peter threw himself at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. In Mark's account, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And from this point forward, that call to Peter was repeated over and over again. Follow me. Come on, Simon. Follow me. And so as we walk through Peter's life, we're going to see that even when we are faithless, Jesus is faithful. I'm going to keep coming back to it, church. So then we move on. We see a little bit later on in Matthew 16, we get a portrait of Peter's confession. So the, the disciples have been with Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They had been hearing Jesus teach. They had seen him heal people and cast out demons. And, and, and in, middle, in the midst of all that ministry, there, was a, there were crowds building. And so Jesus pulled his disciples aside and said, hey, there's, there's buzz building. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So what, what are people saying? And, and the disciples said, well, some are saying that, that he's John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or the prophets. And he said, what about you? So Peter jumps up and says, and says to, to Jesus, well, you're the Christ, the Messiah. You've been rightly identified. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He told Peter, you are the rock on whom I'm going to build my church. And then right after that, Jesus went on to say, this is what it looks like to follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus here is saying, Peter, this is what it looks like. He had called Peter to follow him. And now that Peter had identified, you are the Christ, he says, okay, it's going to be hard. There's a cost to following Jesus. And it means, to follow Jesus, it means that, that anyone who's going to follow him has to give up everything we are. Has to give up, be willing to give up our lives themselves and lay those down knowing that it's only through that path that we will find true life in him. And he calls him, follow me, follow me. He doesn't say try harder, do better, Peter. I'm setting up a new religion and a new system. He says, come and follow me, lay everything down. And we look ahead and come to John chapter 13 and things are coming down to the end of Jesus' time and ministry. It was the Thursday night before he was killed. He pulled his disciples together and he decided to wash their feet and take the lowest posture of the lowest servants. He took off his outer garments and tied a towel around his waist and prepared to wash the grime and the muck from the streets off his disciples' feet. And Peter stands up and says, no way, you're not touching my feet. And Jesus' response is, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And so Peter, we'd see this over and over in his life, emotional guy, passionate guy, teachable guy, though when he's corrected, he will go 180 degrees as fast as he can. So he goes from saying, no way, you're not washing my feet, to saying, Jesus, wash all of me. <laughs> and Jesus says, no. <laughs> Sit down, and I'm going to wash your feet. <laughs> but it's in that context that Jesus shares a meal with his disciples. He breaks bread with them and says, my body is broken for you. He raises a glass of wine and says, this wine is my blood. It's the new covenant in my blood. 
He says, you're going to do this and remember this moment and remember what's coming next. Just as we already celebrated this morning, we continue to look back to that Thursday night and remember what Jesus said and what he did. And it's in that context that, that Peter comes to, is, is talking with Jesus and he says to him, Lord, where are you going? Like he's, he's going, what's going on here? There's some kind of message that Jesus is trying to tell us. And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you'll follow afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Put yourself in Peter's shoes here. He had been called repeatedly by Jesus, follow me. And now Jesus says to him, hey, where I'm going, you can't follow. <laughs> Imagine Peter's emotions here, the, what he would have felt going, what are you talking about? I've given up everything. I left, I left my business, I left my boats, I left my nets, I came in, I, I've left everything to come and follow you. I've identified you as the Christ. I, you, you identified me as the rock on whom your church should be built. You've called me to follow you and give up everything to follow you. And now you're saying, I can't. No, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm ready. And Jesus says, it's not going to happen. And that brings us to Luke 22, the passage that was read today. In Luke's account, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to, with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him there, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus goes out and prays. His disciples are with him, but can't stay awake. They fall asleep, and Jesus comes back to them. We read in another gospel several times. It says, guys, will you just stay awake and pray because the hour of darkness is at hand? It comes back again, and they're asleep. Finally, they're, they, he's talking to them in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas shows up, one of his closest friends, and betrays him with a kiss, hands him over to a mob of, of people with clubs and torches and swords. Peter follows him just like he had said he would. And he follows him right up to the high priest's courtyard, and he, he goes into the courtyard, and Jesus is inside the home of the high priest, visible to Peter still. But in that moment, as he is experiencing the confusion and darkness of, of, of that night, in the early morning hours, we read that a servant girl came up to him and said, hey, this guy was with him. No, no, I wasn't. Just after that, a little later, someone else said, Hey, you're also one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. He was getting more firm. And after an interval of about another hour, another insisted, Certainly, man, that was with him. This guy's from Galilee. They recognized Peter. Galilee was, was the country. They were in the big city, Jerusalem, and Galilee up north was, was, had an accent that the city folks were able to recognize. He was, I, I hear you speaking. I know you're not from here. I know exactly where you're from. And Peter is adamant. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And while he's still speaking, the rooster crows. And this is a devastating blow. To Peter... He had given up everything. And now he's watching the man that he knew was the Christ, the Messiah, the one to come and fulfill God's promises to his people. And he was watching that man arrested and on trial, headed toward death. This is, this is devastating to Peter, who, who, who had given up everything to follow Jesus and put his hope in what Jesus would accomplish. And now he had denied him and done the very thing he was, he was determined not to do. What is that? <laughs> we are, this is the part you've got to pay attention to. 
God has given you the alert <laughs> to say, listen. <laughs> this is devastating to the disciples. Peter was the leader they would have looked to in this moment. He'd, fa- he'd fallen. And how many movements, how many organizations are devastated and broken apart by the failure of the key leader? So often that comes, whether it's a Christian organization or a church or whatever company or organization it might be, that comes through the triad of sex, money, or power. And Peter, it wasn't even those temptations. He just flat denied the foundation of everything that Christ was and what he was doing. He was the chosen leader on whom the the church would be built, the rock on whom the church would be built. And the one the disciples would have been looking to. And after his denial, we do not hear about Peter again until after the resurrection. The rest of the disciples scattered. As far as we can tell, the only one that followed Jesus to the cross was John. But he had abandoned Jesus himself and failed the fundamental calling that he had received. To follow. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But why did Peter fall? There's a few things that I think we need to see. Because every one of us is susceptible to each of these. First, it was fear of man. He was a country boy, a fisherman, in the big city, pulled into the ruler's courtyard. And picture this. This is us getting pulled onto the White House lawn. He was afraid of what would happen. He was afraid of the people that he was seeing. He was afraid of what was happening next. He he had a fear of the Sanhedrin, these rulers in power. He had fear about the crowds who who seemed to be having their way, that that Jesus was led in by crowds the previous Sunday, and they were crying out to to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, saying, you are the Messiah, the one that has come in the line of David to rescue us. And now there were crowds arresting him. I think Peter fell because of a fear of man, but it wasn't that alone. I think the second aspect is, is his overconfidence in himself. He was adamant. I'm not going to leave you. You said I'm going to follow you. And even when Jesus says, where I'm going now, you can't follow. Peter says, well, I'm going to lay myself down. I'll go to prison and to death. But it's a servant girl that he can't even admit to following Jesus. Peter had too much confidence in himself. And when you pair that with a fear of man, and the third aspect here is he had a lack of prayer and watchfulness that Christ had called him to. Earlier in Luke 22, when Jesus is is praying in the garden, he came to the place where he was going to pray, and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And they fell asleep. They didn't listen. They didn't feel the pressure. They didn't feel like anything big was about to happen. Even though Jesus had said to them, this is it. This is the moment. Scripture must be fulfilled. He told them over and over again, the Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem. I have to be arrested. I have to suffer. I have, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the rulers. I'm going to be killed. And then on the third day rise, and the disciples said, it would every time missed what he was saying. And in fact, on Thursday night in Luke 22, we read that he said, it's time, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. He quotes Isaiah 53, which was written 700 years prior, and says, this is it, I'm going to be numbered with the transgressors. So he's telling them, I'm going to be arrested because they're going to kill me. And in the middle of that, the disciples, all they get is they go, hey, we have a sword. (laughs) And Jesus is like, ah, that's enough. That's, that's what the Greek says. <laughs> is, ah, that's enough. They weren't feeling the pressure. Jesus is agonizing in prayer and sweat is falling like drops of blood. Because he knew that he was about to bear the weight of the sin of all of humanity. And face the wrath of God alone. And his disciples were asleep. But there's hope for Peter and hope for us this morning. Even in his failure, even in the moment of his failure, and we'll, we're going to get to his rest, full restoration, but there's something that, that we need to see even in the moment. 
Because I've read this, I think, wrongly for years and years and years. Let's see the hope for Peter right here in our passage in Luke 22 for today. The first hope we have for Peter is that Peter realized his sin. So often we can be blind to the ways that we are falling into a failure and even falling into rebelling against God and denying him outright. Peter was blind to his own failure as it started. It took him all three rounds of denying Jesus and he couldn't even remember that the night before Jesus had said, you're going to deny me three times. It took the rooster crowing. He needed an alert to sound. (laughs) To be woken up to his own sin. And when we are in our own sin, we will progressively get more and more blind and it will take something dramatic to wake us up. Some of you here this morning need a wake-up call. I don't know what you've fallen into. I don't know what you've spiraled into that you're blind to because the further you get into it, the less sensitive to it you've become. My prayer this morning is that God by His Spirit would open your eyes. And if He does, that second, you would remember Jesus' words. Peter remembered Jesus' words. It's too easy to read that as condemnation, as him going, oh, Jesus told me this would happen. I'm more and more convinced that this is the only hope that we have, the only hope that Peter had. In the midst of his sin, he remembered God's word, which Jesus didn't skirt around the fact that he was going to fail. He didn't try to candy coat the brokenness that Peter was about to experience. He didn't try to, try to ease his way into it. He said, this is going to happen, but I'm praying for you, Peter, because Satan wants to destroy you. after you've fallen turn again when he remembered Jesus' words do you see what happened next the Lord turned and looked at Peter Peter realized his sin he remembered Jesus' words and then the eyes of Jesus were on Peter now again I think I read this too often through my own shame And feel like Jesus' face would have been angry, frustrated, let down. I put myself in Jesus' shoes instead of Peter's here. I think about the ways that people have failed me in relationships. I think about the ways that people have denied association with me and broken fellowship with me. And think about my own reaction and then then put that reaction onto Jesus and and have a look of frustration or anger or just exasperation. Like, you got to be kidding me. I warned you. That's not Jesus. Right before this, he got arrested. And even when Judas came to him in the garden, he, asked, he doesn't even condemn Judas. He asked Judas a question. He said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Is this how you're going to do it? He was in the, a garden being betrayed by one who bore the image and likeness of God who he had specifically chosen. And there are echoes of God's voice in the garden saying, Adam, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit? Even the people that came to arrest him, Jesus said to them, like, I've been in the temple courts day by day. You come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. This is the hour of darkness. Jesus' eyes on Peter are the same eyes that looked at Peter and said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So if you see your own sin today, if God gives you a wake-up call, hear Jesus' words and understand that the best thing for you is for Jesus' eyes to be on you. The only other hope that Peter has is that Jesus prayed for him. And this is hope for us. Because we know that if we are in Christ, that if you have denied yourself and taken up a cross to follow Jesus, if you have given up everything you have and everything you are to put everything you hope in, in him, then we know that he has been raised from death to life. 
He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is our high priest and advocate. And that means that when we hear the alert of our sin, when we, when we understand our own brokenness and we remember God's word, we can know that Jesus' eyes are on us and he prays for you. See, this is the good news. This is, a, this is the darkest moment. Jesus said that. This is the hour of darkness. But even then, we see in Peter's life that even when we are faithless, Jesus is faithful. So Peter's restoration, John 21. I just realized too, by the way, there's, a, there's an account Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Um, in Luke's gospel, he, the, there's the travelers on the road to Emmaus that Jesus appears to, and he appears to them, and they go running back to Jerusalem. When they get back to Jerusalem, they say, we've seen the risen Lord, and they say, yeah, so has Peter. We don't have any account of that appearance. So Jesus had appeared to Peter separately from everybody else after his resurrection. And we don't know what happened, because that was between Jesus and Peter. But we do have an account in John 21 that there's a fishing trip. Same thing. They're out fishing all night. They'd gone back to it because what else were they going to do? They were like, all right, we'll go fishing. They go out fishing. And, it's, and, and as they, they're coming in from the night, they're in twilight. It's the early morning hours, you know, and everything's a little gray and it's hard to see very far. And they're about 100 yards offshore. And, and there's somebody on the shore that yells out to him, boys, have you caught anything? And they say, No. The figure about 100 yards off says, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Whatever. <laughs> nets go out, and the nets are filled with fish. This time they don't break apart. But even there, it's, it's John that says, it's the Lord. He looks to him, looks at Peter and says, it's him. And so we read in John 21, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd stripped it for work, and threw himself into the sea. Peter, you've got to love that you don't have to guess what's going on inside of Peter. He throws himself into the sea. He gets to the shore. lets all the other guys do the work. <laughs> when they got into the land, there's a charcoal fire lit, and there's, there's fish laid out on it and some bread. We don't know where Jesus got the fish. <laughs> but he says to him, hey, um, bring up some of the fish you caught. So Peter did go in and hauled the full net ashore, which be, Jesus nicknamed this guy the rock before he told him, I'm going to build my church on you. He was probably a pretty jacked guy. A manual laborer that was able to pull in the fish on his own after the other guy struggled with it. And so Jesus invited him to have breakfast. And it's after breakfast, when they had finished breakfast, that Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. After breakfast, Peter is met with a restoration in the presence of the disciples where Jesus puts him back into a position of the one who particularly was called to tend to his sheep. He asks him three times if he loves him. And, and you'll hear a lot of people that'll talk about, you know, whether it was the word phileo or agape and talk about, try to talk about the Greek words. And there might be something there, but I think that's mostly stylistic. The reason that Peter was grieved by the third time that Jesus asked whether he loved him is right in the text for us. We don't have to come with, up with some linguistic answer. It tells us that he was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? We know this, right? 
If I leave here this afternoon and we head to the airport and on the planes, I'm with Alyssa this, tonight and we're, we're heading back home to D.C. And, and I look at her and say, hey, it was a good weekend. We did a marriage conference. Do you love me? Or she asked me, I'm sorry. She asked me, do you love me? I would say, yeah, you know I love you. If she asked me a second time, are you sure? Do you love me? My mind would start to churn a little bit and go, huh, has anything happened? (laughs) Did I say something at this conference this weekend? (laughs) If she got to a third time of saying, hey, are you sure that you love me? By that point, I'm in like panic mode. (laughs) But do you see how Peter's response has changed? He started bold and confident, the Peter we know. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that. Ask him the second time. Yes, you know that I love you. You see that it gets flipped on the third one? He makes a proclamation of Jesus' omniscience and says, You know all things. It's not Peter's assertion of his love for Christ. He says, You know all things you know that I love you. And so there's a threefold restoration to overcome a threefold denial. Jesus uses his full name, Simon, son of John. Like we all know this too, right? Somebody uses your full name, you listen up. You know, you, could, you can hear mom yelling when you're a kid. But when she all of a sudden turns from, from calling Billy to William Sanford Rydell, come here, I gotta go. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times to reinstate him. Now there's a vocational aspect to Peter's reinstatement. He's calling to a job, to a role, to a title. But again, for too many years, that's all I saw here. When you see the fullness of Peter's life, though, what stands out? The call is personal. There's a job attached to it, but the job isn't the primary thing. Jesus has a pretty cryptic thing to say to Peter, and and John tells us this is to say how he would die. You have to love John because John adds in these little details. Like in John's gospel, we hear that that Peter and a younger disciple, who is John, ran to the empty tomb together, and he goes, the younger one got there first. And here he goes, it's like Jesus has this cryptic thing to say about people are going to stretch out your hands and lead you where you don't want to go. And John goes, psst, this is to tell him how he's going to die. And Peter just watched Jesus, hands stretched out as he was led to the cross. He knew what it meant. But in the middle of that, he says, follow me. He renews the same call. So Peter, predictably, I mean, this is what we would all do, right? Jesus says, hey, I just got crucified this is where you're headed. Follow me. And so he turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loves following them, which is why we have all this detail, is because John was right there to see it. The one who had leaned back on Jesus during the Lord's Supper and who had asked, who's going to betray you? And Peter saw him and said to Jesus, "Uh, Lord, what about this guy? (laughs) What about this man? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus repeats it. If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, it doesn't stop here. Peter's story isn't over. He had denied Christ three times. He had failed epically and publicly. And still in the midst of his sin, because he was aware of it, because God opened his eyes, because he heard the word of Jesus, because the eyes of Jesus were on him, and Jesus was praying for him, Jesus wasn't done with him. In Acts 2, we read that Peter, this man who couldn't stand up to to a servant girl in the high priest's courtyard, stands up and preaches a sermon in the middle of Jerusalem, and 3,000 people are saved. You know what his catchy hook was? His culturally relevant statement in the middle of that sermon that caught everybody? He said, the one who you crucified is God's Christ. Repent and believe and be baptized. There was a boldness that came from somewhere. And then, 
Two months after Jesus had been killed, had been raised from the dead, we come to Acts 4, and we learn that in Acts 3 that Peter and John were walking to the temple and they healed a crippled man and, and that, that they were proclaiming Jesus and his resurrection because they had, they had this heal, healed man and so crowds were gathering in the temple, so Peter and John got arrested. They were pulled into the high priest's courtyard, the same place Peter had fallen. They were pulled before the men who had condemned Jesus to death. Peter had back in, in the back of his head, you are going to have your hands stretched out and you are going to be led where you don't want to go. In front of the same men who had turned Jesus over to Pilate to have him killed. And when we get to Acts 4, they say to him, is, is, they say to these men, to Peter and to John, um, that they say, they say you need, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, rulers and elders of the people. He's not in the courtyard. He's in the midst of the Sanhedrin. And he says, if we're being examined concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by, which man's the, by, which, by what means this man has been healed... Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. He's saying, let's be clear on this. If this is the issue you're asking about, if you're asking for the power that did this thing that the people are talking about and the crowds are gathering about, then in front of the rulers that he had denied Christ afraid of, in front of the crowds that he had watched arrest Christ and was afraid of, He said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is Peter. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They didn't know what to do. They knew this guy was the denier. They were trying to flex put him in a position again. They recognized he had been with Jesus, though. Seeing the man was healed, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they commanded them to leave the council, they said, what should we do? And they said to them, they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to him, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter had moved from being a failure to being a follower of Jesus. And so for us this morning, there's three three of you that I'd like to speak to. The first is that some of you have come into this place this morning And you're not walking with Jesus. You haven't walked with Jesus and you don't know what it means and looks like to walk with Jesus. You need to hear this morning that to be a Christian is not about following the right rules or the right systems or putting on the right face and the right appearance or just showing up to a worship gathering because when it's raining outside. (laughs) Following Jesus is a hard call. It's a call to take up a cross To be willing to kill your own desires, your own passions, your own priorities, your own standards, your own rules, your own morality, and your own law. And put all of your hope only and solely in him. But in Peter, you can see that if you follow Jesus and give everything up for him, then you can have confidence that even in the midst of your own rebellion and sin, whatever you have done, whatever you have walked through, wherever you have fallen short and missed the mark, that you can hear God's word for you. The eyes of Jesus will be on you, and he will pray for you, that your faith will not fail. And even when it does, 
that you would turn again. To turn to Him. The things you're chasing after are not going to satisfy you. They are not going to fulfill you. They are not going to stick with you when you fail them. Jesus is the only one that when we are faithless, Jesus is faithful. The second person I want to talk to today is those of you in the room who need to put your perfectionism to death. And this is those of you who are Christians, followers of Jesus, and you know that you are propping up a facade that is ruling your life. You don't want people to know what's really going on inside of you. You don't want people to know what really is happening in the depths of your soul. You're scared that if people ever got to know what's happening inside of you, if people ever got to that, I have a friend who describes it as that our souls are like a warehouse, and there's areas of the warehouse we walk people through to show them what's on display. And we all have a back room in the dark where the lights are turned off, the door is locked, and we don't even want to open it. Jesus outed you on the cross. You've got nothing to offer that's going to earn God's favor or pleasure on you. The only hope we have is that he has earned it for us. That the work is finished. That he's won, and we know he won because he was raised from death to life, and he even appeared to Peter and restored him. Until you are open with God and honest with God and bring others who are close to you and part of the, the family that God has put into your life into your own pain and brokenness and darkness, you will not authentically experience the voice of God in your life. Just like Peter, there are alarms that have to go off to expose to us our own sin. And we are not going to solve that problem this side of eternity. So beginning to put up a front that we've gotten past it is lying to ourselves and to God. Part of taking up a cross and following Christ is also putting your own perfection to death. The third person that I want to talk to this morning is those of you who are wrestling with your own failure and live in the shadow of it you can't feel like you feel like you can't escape it just it, it, it feels like as, as you try to get out of the shadow it's like the sun's going down behind you and the shadows just get longer look at Peter's life allow God's word to penetrate your heart this morning Jesus, when he calls, if anyone would come after me, he has to take up his cross daily and follow me. His call, follow me, invites every one of us, every one of us who has wavered and wandered and failed and fallen to the same pursuit of the same risen Savior. If you read that passage of Peter's failure like I do, and you feel like hearing God's word and Jesus' eyes on you are looking at you with shame and condemnation, then you need to go sit in Romans 8 today and hear that there is no condemnation. Jesus knows you. He knows where you failed. He knows where you're going to fail. He knows everything about you more than you do. He knows what's in that dark, locked-up little room in your soul. It's not going to surprise him. But his eyes are on you because he loves you. So rest in God's presence. Find your identity in Christ, not in your failure. Allow him to remove the chains of your past failure from you so that you can actually experience the freedom he's given you. For all of us today, my hope is that Peter could help us. You know, Jesus said to him, after you're, you know, you're going to fail, you're going to fall, this is how it's going to go, this is how it's going to go down. 
Satan is demanded to have you. And here's a little, a little clue of something, too. When, G- when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan is demanded to have you, that's actually a plural. I know in the South, you do this right. This is what I, as a northerner, can't get, because you, you, you all say y'all. That should be, Satan has demanded to have y'all. But I've prayed for y'all. And after you've turned, that your faith may not fail. When you've turned again, encourage, strengthen your brothers and sisters. It's time to let go of our perfection. It's time to let go of our pursuits that are anything other than Christ. When we're faithless, Jesus is faithful. And the more that we come to him in authenticity and allow God's word to penetrate our souls, allow God's, and and recognize Jesus' gaze on us and look back at him instead of pulling back away from him, the more you will be able to experience the presence of God in your life and the freedom that God has for you. One last thing as we close. For those of you who are suffering right now and can't run out of the shadow, My prayer for you this morning is this. And this is the words of Peter. Same guy. In his first letter, he says this. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter knew it because he lived it. This is my prayer for you, and we say to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Father, would you help us? Every one of us has failed you. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us? We're so grateful that your eyes are on us, that your word has come to us, and that that you continue to pray for us. Would you help us to rest in your presence? Father for, every, Father, for every one of us here this morning, would you stir in our hearts that we would hear the costly call of Christ to lay everything down and lose our lives themselves so that we can find life in him. We thank you that, that our salvation is not based on our perfection, that our salvation is not based on, on the, the, the robustness or purity of our faith, but it is based on the object of our faith in the finished work of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.